Well, it's always a good idea before we talk about the word of God that we uh, ask for his blessings on it. So let's do that right now. Lord, I pray that you would enlighten our eyes and give us a heart that's soft and pliable and receptive to all that you say. Help us to gain an understanding, Lord, and to see that you're the Holy One and that uh, we just need to have faith and walk with you in obedience. And Lord, help us again to understand your word, to see Jesus all through your scripture because it's about him. And so we ask it uh, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, I, I realize that um, for a lot of people, the Old Testament is not an open book very well. I mean, you haven't read it very deeply or you've read it and found it so confusing that you um, put it aside and haven't gotten back to it for a while but it's a very profitable part of scripture. And the more you read it, the more you will see how it relates to the New Testament, how it's God's story from the beginning to end, how it's all about Jesus and how nothing has changed. God's character has not altered one bit. What he's called us to do all the way through scripture from beginning to end, just to have faith, to believe, and to trust. And um, to that end, I want to look just briefly at an early part of the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible, and it's um, basically a recap of the law and the covenant of God that he gave in the first four books. But it's done in a different way, and it's done in preparation for the people of Israel uh, as they get ready to go into a place they've never been before, and they embrace a lifestyle that they've never had before. And if you um, look at the wanderings of Israel, in the desert, in that great wilderness area that uh, if you look at a map is divided into sections and they're called things like the wilderness of Shur and the wilderness of Sin and the wilderness of Zen and um, about five different wilderness areas. And we see names that we've never heard of before and we'll probably never hear of again and we get confused. And if you try to do a timeline of where they started from and where they went next and trace it all the way through till they get to the promised land, you'll probably end up being as confused as I am because it's a difficult thing to do. And so many scholars have come up with different routes that they think Israel traveled through this wilderness for a 40 year period of time. And um, there are some indications that uh, a lot of what people have said are, is not quite true as far as how they traveled or, or not how, but where they traveled and the time frame that they were there. But let me just give you a brief 
hopefully correct timeline of Israel so you can sort of get an idea of what God led this people that had been captive in Egypt for 400 years. Now, they weren't in trouble the whole 400 years, but for a good part of it, they had become slaves of the Egyptians. And God, through, uses Moses to be the deliverer of taking a people that started out with 70 families 400 years earlier, and by the time they left, a million and a half or so people at least. And imagine taking a million and a half people through a desert. And that doesn't include the animals that they had with them. Great possessions because it says when they left Egypt, God spoiled the Egyptian people, which means because of all the plagues that fell on Egypt, the people of Israel had gained great favor from the common people in Egypt because they saw God's hand in delivering them and they gave them all sorts of uh, goods, gold and silver and jewels and uh, animals and crops and all this sort of thing. So they walked out of Egypt with a lot of treasure. And then they go to the wilderness. And the basic timeline is from the time they left the land of Goshen, which was a separate part of Israel that God had given them, from the time they left Goshen to their arrival at the Red Sea was about 17 days. And then they camped at the Red Sea for about eight days. And the people grumbled. You get this constantly. It's a constant refrain throughout the whole time. And then after eight days, they crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptian army tried to found, follow them through the parted Red Sea. God brought the waters back again, and the Egyptian army drowned. And so Egypt, excuse me, Israel, goes into what's called the wilderness of Shur for three days. They found no water, and guess what? The people grumbled again. And God provides water. And then they arrived at an oasis that the Bible calls Elam, and they were there for three days. And then they leave Elam and enter what's called the wilderness of sin. And the wilderness of sin, God provides manna after the people grumble and complain and want to kill Moses. And they stay in this wilderness of sin for eight days. And they leave the wilderness camp of Sim, and they go to a place called Rephidim, where there's no water. They grumble, and God provides the water. And then out of the, out of the rock is where God provides the water. And then they travel eight days to Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is where God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses, as well as a number of other laws. And they're at Mount Sinai, well, basically, the journey so far to Mount Sinai has taken about 47 days. That's from the time they left Egypt to get into Mount Sinai. And out of that 47 days, they've spent 22 days in the wilderness. The wilderness of Shur and the wilderness of Sin. And they stay at Mount Sinai, where the law is given, for 300 days. 
And for the first 95 days, Moses is up and down the mountain, getting the law and getting instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And for the next 205 days, they were spent gathering supplies and constructing the components of the tabernacle. And so after 300 or so days, they leave Mount Sinai and they travel to Kadesh Barnea. And Kadesh Barnea is supposed to be the jumping off point to go into the promised land. Takes about 30 days to get there and they travel through what's called the wilderness of Paran, P-A-R-A-N. And then they travel after Kadesh, they're in Kadesh Barnea. This is when the spies go out. God, or not God, but God tells them to go into the land. He says, I've given it to you, go in and take it. Now God never says, pull out your lawn chairs and sit down and I'm gonna take the land for you. He says, I've given it to you, I'll fight for you. You can defeat them, but you're gonna to have to be obedient and you're gonna to have to do things. It's the same way with Christians today. God never says you've been saved, go sit under the tree and contemplate the growth of the leaves while I take care of everything. He tells us to go in all world, all the world and preach the gospel. So we have things to do just like they had things to do. Anyway, you know the, the story, I, I think. You get a bad report from the 10 out of the 12 spies. God has said, I'm gonna give you the land, you can take it. And they go, they look at the people, they look at the fortified cities and they say, no way, it's too hard. God, you're not strong enough to do this. Uh, never mind the fact that God had just got through delivering them from the most powerful nation on earth at the time, Egypt drowning Pharaoh's army in the process, providing water and food in the desert, and leading a million and a half people and animals thus far. But God, you're not strong enough to take care of these people. So they don't go in, and then they find out that God says, okay, that's it. You're not going into the promised land. And they, they say, okay, we're sorry, we will go in. And God said, no, you won't. And they said, we can do it, God. We're going to go ahead and do it. And then they go and God says, okay, but I'm not going to go with you. And so they get roundly defeated by the people that they try to go through. And God says, that's it. And so they come back and it says that they weep and moan before God, but God's not going to listen to them because now they're going to have to wander for a good while, 38 years or so, before they're allowed to go in. What you see is in the end of the first chapter of Deuteronomy, it says, then you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ears to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you spent there. And there are a lot of people that think many days means 38 years, 37 and a half years. So that Kadesh is a base camp. They go out and they go through the wilderness of, of uh, Zen. But the base camp is in Kadesh. And the wilderness of Zen is what Deuteronomy calls that great and terrible wilderness. 
But again, some people think they wander off through there the whole time, and other people think their base camp is at Kadesh. And though, the, that, and though they go through these other places, they're at Kadesh. And then finally from Kadesh Barnea, they're allowed to go into the promised land after another 37 and a half years. At any rate, the book of, De the book of Deuteronomy opens with Israel positioned on the edge of the promised land. They're on the eastern bank of the Jordan River opposite a city called Jericho in the promised land. And in a couple of more weeks or so, they're going to cross the river. And again, this is the Jordan River and God's going to part that river so that they can walk across on dry land. And they'll go into the promised land for the first time. Deuteronomy is basically a sermon given by Moses in preparation for the people to enter the promised land. But scripture says that Moses himself will not be allowed to go in. And um, you get a lot of people that look at this and they go, well, that's not fair. Here's Moses, the greatest leader that Israel's ever had. God praises him again and again, but he's not gonna be allowed to go into the promised land. And Moses begs God, change your mind, let me go in. And God says, no, why? because there was a time where God, where Moses did not regard God as holy. He disobeyed God, and it was a very serious thing. If we look at it from human eyes, it doesn't seem that serious to us. But if we dig into it a little deeper, it's a very serious thing. I won't um, take the time to go into it right now, because we're talking about going into the promised land, and Moses is not going to be able to go in. God says, you can see it. You're going to be in a place where you can look from the mountain and see into the promised land, but you're not going to go. Joshua is going to go in your place as a leader. And so Moses is given the last instructions. Why? Because he knows there are rebellious people. There are stubborn people. Their whole journey since leaving Egypt has been once of one of grumbling, of rebellion, of, re of uh, rebelling against both God and Moses. Again and again, Moses had told them, be careful, watch yourself. Don't rebel against the Lord because God is with us. So why does Moses keep repeating us? Because they're a careless people. They're an ungrateful people and they have short memories. And another reason for repeating the law again, as they get ready to go into the promised land, is that they're entering a land that's gonna bring great change to their lives. Up to now, they've been a nomadic people. For 40 years, they've been wandering with no steady camp. And now they're gonna be a settled people and it's gonna be an entirely different kind of existence. And they're gonna be great temptations and they need to remember the faithful God. They need to remember what God has done for them because Moses knows what they're like. God knows what they're like. And so he repeats the law, he repeats what God has done for them, what God has called them to be. 
you see the same thing in the New Testament. Why, why do you think we take communion? There are many reasons, but one reason that is constant is remember. Because we forget. We don't remember the seriousness of sin. We don't remember how vital it is to put our faith and trust in God. Remember what God is. Volume's not very high. Do what? Sorry. <laughs> okay. So they're in preparation to go in. It's been one of a, as I said, continual grumbling. The word Deuteronomy comes from a Greek word, actually two Greek words, and it means second law. It means a repeating of the law again prior to going into the promised land. In the Hebrew scriptures, it's not called Deuteronomy. The name of the book is These Are the Words. Seems kind of strange, but it's called These Are the Words because those are the first words of the book. That's how the book begins. And that's how many ancient uh, books describe or derived their titles. If you look at a lot of ancient books, they didn't have titles. And if you go to a lot of medieval libraries, so I'm told, because they didn't have titles, they were arranged according to the first words of the book. And so the Hebrew word or title for Deuteronomy is these are the words, because that's how it starts. And if we look at the first few verses of the first chapter of Deuteronomy, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to see here that a lot of young people especially get a kick out of hearing people read Old Testament scriptures and see how people reading about the Bible fumble and stumble all over the words that they're not familiar with. And you see a lot of them in Deuteronomy. And you're going to see a lot in these first six, seven, eight verses. Anyway, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness. And the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahah. It is 11 days journeys from Horeb by way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded him to give them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Hesbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Asheroth and Idri, across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to expound this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horab, saying, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and set your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors of the Arabah. In the hill country and in the lowlands and in the Negev and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land 
which the Lord swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. So, you see the stumbling over words because there are so many unfamiliar ones. And one reason for all these unfamiliar names is because a lot of these names have changed and all the people that lived there didn't give them the same name. Plus the fact that they, these were a nomadic people. And some of these villages, some of these small settlements moved. They weren't permanent. And so where they used to be, they're not there any longer. And some of them had their names that were changed. And so it's very difficult to place uh, uh, in our minds or on a map where these places actually were. In Deuteronomy, Moses uses the word Horeb and it's a synonym for Sinai. So when you see the word Mount Horeb or Horeb, he's talking about Sinai. It's all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. So it was a journey of 11 days from Mount Sinai to Kadesh and from Kadesh to the promised land. It took a little more than a year. And the only reason it took a year is because they were gonna have to fight. They were gonna have to fight the Amorites. So basically, 37 and a half more years to go. So it would have taken up two years or less to get through the promised land, except for their rebellion. And because of the rebellion, this is how long it took. But if you see later on, the people that lived in the land, particularly the Amorites and people like this, they were very ungodly people. And Moses is told that when they go through to hit the, to fight these people like the Amorites, to wipe them out completely. And you go, how could God, who is merciful and holy and loving and true and kind, how could he tell Moses and Israel to wipe them out? Man, woman, child, animals, don't let any of them live. Well, it's a very dangerous thing to ask God why. Because what we're doing is a saying, we're saying to God, you know, I would have done it differently. Um, I'm more compassionate than you are God. Uh, I have more wisdom of the situation. I have more understanding. And we get ourselves in trouble very quickly because we know very little. We assume that, that God is going to have flashes of anger where he's like these mythological gods that are angry one day and happy the next and there's really no reason for the change but there's a reason but one thing God had given the Amorites 400 years to repent while Israel was in Egypt and they never repented they just became more and more wicked and God's anger boils over and he says that's it I am not going to let my people be contaminated by these ungodly people that are sacrificing their children, worshiping every false God that there is. All sorts of sexual impurities, they're not gonna live. They are hindering my people, they're fighting my people every step of the way to try to prevent them 
from gaining what I've given them. So there's a reason, and we need to be very careful about questioning why God does what God does. A lot of violence in the book of Deuteronomy, you can't get around it, a lot of death, and you can't just skip over it. And there are times that God says, wipe out some of these people. And there are times that he says, leave them alone. Don't touch them. You do everything you can to avoid any kind of hostilities to these people. If you want water, you buy it from them. If you want food, then you buy it from them. But don't you do anything to harm them. And we'll see there's a reason for that too. For example, God does not allow Israel to engage with the, Am with the Ammonites, with the, uh, the Edomites, or the Moabites. And there's a reason for that. He says that he has given those people their land. And the reason they're there is God has given it to him. And then we see the reason also is that they are related to Israel. The Edomites are descendants of Esau, the brother of Jacob. The uh, Ammonites and Moab are descendants of Lot, Abraham's nephew. So God says, leave them alone. They're your kin. I've given them the land that they're in. I haven't given it to you. You go to the land that I'm giving you. And as you read through the first chapter of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, you're going to see that Moses begins to rehash their wilderness experience. And they rem he reminds them of why they've gotten to the place they are at this point in the, in the scriptures about the spies and everything else. When they first try to go in after they refuse to listen, to, to listen God to God and God says, you're not going in. And they say, well, we'll try it. We'll, we can do it anyway. These Amorites are the ones that defeat them. And these are the very same people that 38 years later, Israel defeats and wipes out. If we look at um, another part of the first chapter of Deuteronomy, beginning in verses, excuse me, verse 29, And again, I know some of these words are not familiar to you, but it's a story that um, as you begin to really look at it and piece it together, it makes a lot of sense. God has said, I said to them, don't be shocked or fear them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight on your behalf, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, just as a man carries his son, in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. But for all of this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who goes before you on your way to seek out a place for you to camp, and fire by night and cloud by day to show you the way in which you should go. Then the Lord heard the sound of your words 
and he was angry and took an oath saying, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to give to their fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephthah, Jephunai, he shall see it, and to him and to his sons, I will give the land in which he has set foot, because he has followed the Lord fully. The Lord was angry with me also, this is Moses speaking, on your account, saying, not even you shall enter there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter there. Encourage him, for he will cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones, whom you said would become a prey, and your sons this day, who this day have no knowledge of good or evil, shall enter there, and I will give it to them, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn around and set out for the wilderness by the way of the, to the Red Sea. Then you said to me, we have sinned against the Lord. We will indeed go up and fight, just as the Lord our God commanded us. Let, and, and every man of you girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as easy to go up to the hill country. And the Lord said to me, say to them, do not go up nor fight, for I am not among you. Otherwise, you will be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and acted presumptuously and went to the hill country. The Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and crushed you from Seir to Hormah. Then you returned and wept before the Lord. But the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained in Kadesh many days, the days that you spent there. In various parts of the first chapter, Moses reminds the people that their status as the favored people of God has nothing to do with them or anything that they've done. They can't take credit for the land that they're going to get or for the prosperity that's soon going to be theirs. They can't take credit for the spiritual life that they're going to have and the fruitfulness that's going to come from it. The promise that they, the, of the land was given to Abraham, their forefather, and God keeps his promises. God is faithful. From one family, and now a family of a small number of people, and now as numerous as the stars in the sky, they're going to get the land. And it's important to show that Israel's refusal to enter the land at the very beginning of Deuteronomy is there because it shows that God's fundamental requirement is not obedience, but it's faithfulness. 
the Lord had already given them the land. All they had to do was go in and take possession. But they were afraid because of the reports they had heard of the strong people that lived there. If you read verse 32 again, you see that it's not an obedience issue, it's a faith issue. He says, but for all of this, you did not trust the Lord your God. For all of this, you didn't trust the Lord your God. What more could God have done? Verse 45 says, you wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice, nor give ear to you. It's not hard to see that, that God is unwilling to listen to Israel. And the reason is because he knows what their hearts are like. And he knows that their hearts are far from him. They're bitterly sorry for the consequence of their unbelief that they can't go into the promised land. But they still don't have true faith or true reverence for God. If you look at the original account for this episode in Numbers 14, it tells you that God is treated differently than the rest of them. And it says the reason he's treated differently is because he, got a, he has a different spirit. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it. It's not that disobedience itself that's so important. It's God, because God always forgives his disobedient people. He always forgives. The problem is that people don't obey God because they don't trust God, they don't trust his word, and they don't trust his love for them. They don't trust his goodness to them. First things first. First, obedience. You see the same thing in the New Testament. The whole 11th chapter of Hebrews is about faith. If by faith of this people, these people did this, that person did this. And it says in Hebrews, without faith, it's impossible to believe God. Exactly the same thing you see in Deuteronomy. Without faith, it's impossible to be to, to believe God. It's impossible to follow God without faith. Because obedience, true obedience, springs out of true faith. And without true faith, obedience is just a, a rope thing. It's just like keeping the rules when you're grumbling in your heart. So it's first things first. Faith and then obedience. It's really easy to see the lack of character in Israel until we ask ourselves the question, uh, how much trouble do I have trusting the Lord? And then that's a question that sort of stabs at our heart. Israel in effect said, how can God give us the promised land? How do we know he's strong enough? This is too difficult for God. How many times have we said the same thing in our heart? Maybe not with our mouth, but with our heart. Is God strong enough to do this? 
And what we see in Deuteronomy is that God is serious about his word. Biblical life is serious business. Christian life is serious business. The, the destruction of the enemy is of God in the Old Testament. Shows us the seriousness of sin. And it shows us the seriousness and the reality of judgment. And we're disturbed by this. We ought to be disturbed by this. God wants us to be disturbed by this. So one of the things the Old Testament does is readjust our idea of what's fair and what's not fair. Are we really a people of the book? of scripture or we are people that invent our own religion we can do away with parts of scripture that we don't like but if we do we'll no longer be biblical christians we'll be something else In a great measure, the, the kind of Christians that we are going to be is going to be determined by how fully we appreciate the grace of God and how much we remember what God has done and who God is. You know, the Bible never says that because Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land that he died everlastingly. It doesn't say that. And the people that died in the wilderness because they didn't trust God to go into the promised land, it doesn't say they died everlastingly. But what it does do is show us that physical death was a statement of how serious sin is, how serious it is not to trust God and not, have, and to, not to believe God. And if you want to see it carried forth into the New Testament, all you have to do is see that God's judgment in the Old Testament helps us to see how serious the Lord's judgment is on his own son on the cross as he bears our sins even now. So let's try to put the Old Testament in perspective and see that it's showing us that what God required then, he required now. That sin is serious, that obedience, true obedience can only come as it springs forth from faith. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to understand the things that seem to be so hidden from us because we don't take the time to, to look at it with a great amount of, of desire to see it and realize fully in our hearts and minds and we just pray that uh, jesus because you always forgive a disobedient people that you forgive us and cause our faith to increase and to be the guiding the guiding standard for our lives and we ask it in your name amen Thank you, Greg.
share the song. Let's sing this together. Rage, I know my God is in control. The oceans roar, you are the Lord of all, the one who calms the wind and waves and makes my heart be still. 
though the earth gives way, the mountains move into the sea, the nations rage, I know my God is in control. Lord, let us remember your faithfulness. Let us remember, Lord, your instructions. Let us remember, Lord, that you are the, the one who leads us and guides us, who provides water for us and provides food for us and rescues us and delivers us. Lord, it's not because we're so creative and so grand in our own selves. It's not because we, we're wise and we've chosen uh, from good and evil, and we've chosen to do the good. Lord, it's your preservation in our lives, Lord. It's your graces that are abundant and fresh, and Lord, your, your mercy that is so kind to us. And Lord, when we face our own battles this coming week, when we face temptations to grumble and complain and say that you've made a mistake lord you've not chosen what was the best choice you could have made and lord when we question why and we question your motives and we question lord your decisions it shows that we don't trust you we don't trust your word when we do those things so lord give us that fresh work of your spirit and Lord in our hearts that we might um, humbly follow after you and learn Lord from these that have preceded us and hear their, their message Lord to hear these words of faith that Moses recorded for us. Thank you God. You know, church, it seems like everybody 
on the planet wants to give their opinion as to why these things are happening. And certainly we've added our own thoughts to all of those things. But let's trust God. Let's believe his words and let us take these days to put his words within us, to speak them to our souls, to speak them to our minds, to receive these words of life and words of, of grace and words of power. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask for your mercy in our lives this week. We ask that we might impart and share hope with others and share with them the mercy and the graces of God. Lord, we pray for those that are without, who suffer lack of health, of food, of shelter, of clothing, Lord, of, of hope. And pray, Lord, that they might come to you, that you would provide all of these things for them and use us, Lord, as you will as your hands and feet here on the earth today. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray this together in Jesus' name, that he might be the Lord and the ruler of our lives. And in his name, amen. Amen. Thank this you, was Greg. our good ninth lesson. Sunday. Sorry, go ahead, Roger. I just saying thanks to Greg. It was a really good message. Thank you, Roger. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd like to say something about um, Greg's message too. Greg, when you said true obedience can only come as it springs forth from faith, it took me back to the message that you gave on Easter um, when you. You talked about that that man that did the cartoons and all the voices and all, and he said, that's all, folks. Yeah. Um, that, that was on his tombstone. I mean, he was a man that had no hope, um, or it certainly appears that he had no hope. And then when Bina said this morning that, that the people in India, and there are millions of them, that it broke her heart that they have no hope and no help. But because of God's grace, <laughs> We do have hope. Uh, we do have help because he gives us grace to have faith in him and to trust him. And even because of that, he gives us grace to pray for those people who have no hope. And it just makes me so grateful for, like you spoke of, for his grace um, that he even gives us the ability to have faith in him and to know him and to trust him, to believe him. Um, in this storm and, and in all of life. So thank you for that, that reminder again this morning. I know that um, it's difficult to try to piece together parts of Old Testament when you're not that familiar with it, but I, I encourage you to, um, take advantage of any situation you can to read it and to maybe gather with other people to help explain it 
more fully to you because the more you see it, the more you'll just be amazed at the grace of God from beginning to end. And you'll see the dangers of forgetting. Um, it's, I'll just, one, just a one minute thing. If you want to see the dangers of forgetting, which is what Moses warned them against, go to Second Kings and read the 22nd chapter, and you'll see it talks about a king named Josiah. And he was eight years old when he became the king of Israel. Imagine, eight years old. But scripture says that he was a godly king, that he did was what was right in the sight of God. And what was going on during his time as king early on, there was a renovation project in the temple. The temple had fallen into uh, a state of disrepair in a lot of places. And so while the workmen were in there straightening up the temple, they found a scroll. And they read it and they took it to the scribe that, and took it to the head scribe and stuff. And he read and he took it to the king, Josiah. And Josiah read it and wept, tore his clothes, which was a sign of great repentance and sorrow before God, because he realized that what this scroll said, they had not been doing for many, many years. And it was the word of God. And scholars say that what this scroll was, that had been lost and forgotten was the book of Deuteronomy. And when he read it, and then what happened was going on in the temple, this temple that was the temple of God had all different enclaves and separate rooms with all kinds of false foreign gods and male prostitutes and all these things were taking place in the temple of God because they had lost the book they had lost the word of God and Josiah cleaned it up. And God says, judgment is going to fall terribly on Israel, but because of you, it won't happen while you're alive. I'll hold off judgment until after you're dead. You're dead. But this is what happens when you don't remember, when you forget, when you lose the word of God. Sad story. I'm done. But praise God for his redemption that um, a man like Josiah came to the throne and, um, and that he cleaned it up. I mean, over and over again, every time God brings judgment, he always shows at the very end, I'm going to redeem. I'm going to redeem. I mean, and, th that's, that's, and that's the thread that runs throughout the whole of Scripture is how many times he has to bring judgment. He always promises there's going, I'm going to have a people. I'm going to bring redemption. And every time he's faithful to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful for that because without that grace and that thread of redemption, we wouldn't have any hope, but we have great hope. He never gives up on us. Um, so it is such a, it's so, it's, such, it's so good to hear the Old Testament because it's part of the big story of God. And without it, there's no way to understand it all. So, yeah. Thanks for taking the time, Greg, to carefully show us that histor historical piece about the people of Israel and their wanderings. I think it really puts things in perspective. Thank you. Mm -hmm.
Well, Mary, are there any other things that you want to mention? I know that, um, did we, I don't know that we sang the happy birthday to Greg last week, but his birthday was yesterday. His birthday was yesterday. Too late. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, never too late. <laughs> My dad's birthday was two days ago. That's, oh, right. that's right. It was. Jason's birthday was a couple of days ago. That's right. <laughs> Friday. And uh, Eugenia is here. Anna's birthday was this past week. I think she's going to go get Anna. Mm. He's looking for Anna. <laughs> signaling. Because yeah. they were here last week with us. And today is Jill Bueller's birthday. I, I didn't see Jill and Wayne on this morning. They may be traveling, I don't know. Tomorrow is Elizabeth Cheek Dubberly's birthday. And Friday is my sister Martha Kincaid's birthday. I don't know if she's on today. And also Phoebe. Phoebe has a birthday on Friday. So those are the birthdays this week. I tell you, May is a celebration month for birthdays. All the good people are born in May. <laughs> happy birthday. Oh, there's Anna. Anna. Hello, happy birthday. <laughs> Yesterday, a couple of days ago. <laughs> I like the claps. Yeah. Okay, can we sing to you? Everybody unmute, or some of you unmute. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> Happy birthday, Happy birthday to you. 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 